Hi, I'm Stuart Spinks and welcome to episode 70 of my podcast, Beekeeping Short and Sweet. June Gap? What June Gap? The blackberries are in flower locally here and that hopefully signals the beginning of the summer flow. All we need now is some warm weather and the supers will begin to fill again. This week, I'm looking forward to a weekend of queen rearing, so keep listening to hear how I'm preparing for that. Beekeeping Short and Sweet, a beekeeping podcast for the inquisitive beekeeper with a short attention span. A beekeeper, in fact, just like me. This past week, I've seen a heap of chatter on social media about bees starving across the UK. And to be honest, it did get me a little bit steamed up. I love the various social media feeds and get a lot of help and support from beekeepers across the world who I would never have been able to connect with if it wasn't for the interweb. But as with all things, there are always those who will not just impose themselves on it, but almost bully their way along, oblivious to how others might take their comments. They have the approach of, you do it my way, or you're doing it the wrong way. It's not so much trolling, where someone picks on you specifically, but rather a broad brush attack, hitting as many people as possible with their self-serving views. Steph has an expression for people like that, but she's told me I can't repeat it on my podcast. Anyway, before I get too deep into a rant, I should pause and just rewind a little. We have this phenomenon called the June Gap. For those of you that haven't heard of it before, it's when the spring forage finishes and we wait impatiently for the summer flowering plants to get going. Sometimes the bees can get really grumpy at this time of the year, usually around mid-June as the name implies. So if your bees are being a little less friendly at the moment, it may be due to the lack of forage. That said, It's a very variable problem, if it's a problem at all, and here's why you shouldn't dash out and pour a gallon of syrup into your bees without checking first. If we look back at the spring, it's been a very good start. The bees exploded into life and forage was abundant and varied. Sure, we had some swarming issues and I'm still trying to get my head round the problems of new queens mating, or rather new queens not mating, but that's another issue. Specifically, The bees had plenty of time to fill up the brood frames with honey and stash a surplus in the supers above. But not all bees are made the same, and this is one of the reasons you might be hearing cries of feed the bees. I have a range of what I term Norfolk mixed bees, that's to say a mixed gene pool with no specific subspecies dominating. All this despite my attempts to get back to near-native bees, but that's another tale. Within the various queens currently installed in my hives, I have dark bees, light bees, and stripy bees. A real mix of genes, and as a result, a real mix of traits. One of these traits is a propensity to create brood. Frames and frames and frames of brood. I have one particular colony that is in a commercial brood box, and all 12 frames I have in it are full of brood. What I mean, to be specific, is the frame is filled corner to corner with brood, not a drop of honey or pollen to be seen anywhere in the brood box. I have other colonies that are currently on about six frames of brood, in a more traditional pattern of brood in the middle of the frame, with an arc of pollen and honey around the top of the brood. The frames on the outside of the brood nest are full of stores, more honey and pollen. More bees doesn't necessarily mean more honey surplus though. The colony with only brood in their brood box seems to be able to only produce brood. They didn't contribute at all to the spring honey crop, 
and have for the most part sat in their box just producing brood. On the face of it, they might seem like a really good colony. They're quite calm, free of disease, and seem like they ought to be ideal, but they just don't produce any honey. Add to this the fact that they might well need feeding if there wasn't any forage for them, they could in fact cost me time and money for absolutely no return. Compare them with the smaller colony, a little more feisty, yes, but they also produced two supers of honey in the spring and have ample stores in the brood box to see them through any wet period that we may have, and boy we've had some wet periods just recently. So you can see from this example alone, bees vary so much it's not enough to simply say feed your bees. If you happen to have large colonies in your brood boxes and no surplus, then you had better have left them a super of food stores, or if you do suffer a June gap, they may well starve. Beekeepers need to observe what's happening with their own bees and hives and make a thoughtful assessment of what they need to do. Of course, there is the other issue of nukes and splits rather than full-size colonies, and these really do need a little more care and attention, specifically if they're growing fast and running out of room in the nuke box. Food may well be in short supply for them, despite a nectar flow being available. If it turns cold and wet, nukes can suffer very quickly. So again, assess what you have and make appropriate plans to help them if needed. The easiest way to supplement a nuke is to pop some fondant on them. I know I mention apipasta fairly regularly, but I use it now as my go-to feed for nukes and would recommend giving it a try if you need to feed them. There's a link to the website in the show notes. Going back to the June Gap, here in Norwich I would ask, what June Gap? I posted a short video clip to my Patreon page showing a huge amount of blackberries now in flower around my apiaries. Along with these, there are wild dog roses that the bees are foraging on, and very soon the lime trees will be in full flower, marking the start of the main summer flow. Move slightly northwest from here in Norfolk, and it seems the blackberries are only just forming flower buds. So you can see how locality can play a major part in how you manage your bees. I've also been lucky enough to move a lot of my bees from their oilseed rape fields straight onto spring-sown field beans, which again have provided a useful source of nectar for the colonies there. Interestingly, the bees have been filling the brood boxes with pollen from Phacelia. It's a purple-coloured pollen, and there's a large meadow very close to the hives. They've also been collecting from several other plants that have a bright yellowy-orange coloured pollen. I really should have a look under the microscope to find out what it is. I posted a picture of a frame filled with different coloured pollens, and it looks amazing. Regardless of where you live, make sure your bees are well provisioned. Don't take every last drop of honey from them when you do remove a box or two, and keep an eye on the local conditions for you to make sure your bees don't starve. I was actually back at the fisheries queen-rearing apuria on Wednesday, checking up on the starter colony I moved there at the weekend. That's the apiary with all the brambles now in flower, which is great news for the queen rearing, as they will need lots of pollen to develop strong, healthy queens. I do have food in the form of syrup and pollen substitute available for them, just in case, but at the moment they're doing fine. So my original plan was to set up a cloakboard colony, but time just got away from me and I didn't get a chance to move the necessary colonies in time. So I've switched to the queen rearing starter colony, this is a strong colony that I've made queenless by removing the old queen and placing her in a nuke with a couple of frames and attendant workers. The now queenless colony will no doubt be in the process of making queen cells as I record this. The next step is to go back in to that queenless colony, probably 
on Friday, just as this podcast is published, to knock down any of the queen cells. This will make the colony hopelessly queenless. That's to say, they won't have any more eggs or very young larvae to be able to produce a queen cell from. The following day, I'll then go back and start the ball rolling by grafting some very young larvae into some JZBZ cell cups. These are really easy to use, and I go to these in preference to making up my own little wax cups and that kind of thing. The starter, or cell builder colony, is in pretty much perfect condition for this process. There are several frames of sealed brood that are just starting to emerge, so there'll be lots of young bees available to attend to the 20 cell cups that I intend to graft into it. I think they could probably take a double quantity of grafts, so I might go with 40 cells instead and spread them over two frames. The timing then follows a specific pattern as the queen cells develop and the young larvae grow. I could probably go back in and check the same afternoon to see how many of the grafts have taken. The workers will immediately start providing royal jelly within the cell cups, and this is clearly visible from the outside of the cup when the queen cells are sealed. But at this early stage, it's a simple enough job to turn the frame and take a quick look inside each cup. Any that haven't taken can be regrafted and get a second bite of the cherry, so to speak. The next stage is to move these cells into a builder or finisher colony. This can happen at any time, but ideally 24 to 48 hours later. These finisher colonies are queen right, strong colonies on double brood with a queen excluder between the two boxes and the established queen in the bottom box. These colonies will get syrup and pollen or pollen substitute to help them continue to feed the larvae in the developing queen cells. Doing this allows me to start another batch of queen cells in the starter colony. I intend adding a couple of frames of brood from another strong colony to the starter hive to maintain its strength for queen cell production. So you can see it's easy to produce 20 or 40 or 60 or more queen cells fairly quickly with just a small setup. The challenge comes when those queen cells are capped and ready to be moved on. This is where you need a truckload of kit and bees to start dropping queen cells into. My plan is to first requeen any colonies I currently have that are showing signs of being hopelessly queenless after the poor early season mating that we had. I'm going to use the existing laying queens from the various nukes I have within the queen mating apiary to requeen at other apiaries. This will give me about 20 three-frame nukes and a dozen commercial five-frame nukes to use. That should be more than enough to start with, knowing that not all the queen cells are going to emerge successfully. I am contemplating getting an incubator, the type that are used for hatching hens or reptile eggs, and with any luck there may be something I can get second hand, as the new ones are quite expensive. If I'm able to grab a bargain, I could then move sealed queen cells from the finisher colonies into the incubator and have many more queen cells available than I could ever hope to produce using the nukes. Once I've got some queens developing, I can produce quite a number in fairly quick succession, and I really need to. To help me with the timing, I use a spreadsheet that adjusts the day and date of the principal actions I need to make happen, depending on the grafting day. I just put in the date of the grafting day, and all the other dates adjust. The grafting day is the day the graft is taken and goes into the cell builder colony, so the timetable can be adjusted to any of the queen rearing techniques that I use. For instance, with the Nico system, grafting day is simply the day I remove the young larvae from the queen cage and add them to the cell cup holders and place them into the cell builder. 
If I'm using the alley method, it's the day that I cut the strips, attach them to the cell bars, and place these into the starter colony. There's a pattern here, obviously. Grafting day is the same day regardless of technique. It's simply the day the young larvae go into the starter or cell builder colony. One thing I'm not looking forward to is having to remove queens that don't fit the criteria I've set. The number one criteria for me at the moment is colour. The darker the better, initially. But with so many colonies struggling to produce decent laying queens this year, I'm going to relax this rule and allow an occasional stripy queen. Yellow queens are definitely no-nos though, and they will have to go. It will take some time to get them all laying and see what their individual traits are like, and it's why I've invested in so many nuke boxes. Most of the colonies I produce from these queens will be in nukes over winter, and will go towards any winter losses and also building up stock levels again for next year. I've been disappointed by the high ratio of drone laying queens and splits that have failed this spring, and really need to get to grips with why this has happened. Everything looked really good at the beginning of May, and then it all went pear-shaped. As usual, I'll have to take it as a learning experience and not get too troubled by what's happened. As I've said before, I'm no expert and continue to learn new techniques and lessons each season. I'm going to record a few videos of the queen rearing that I start this weekend and moving through the rest of the summer, so do pop over to my Patreon page and catch up with those later. Well, that's it for this week. Thanks for hanging around until the end of the podcast and keep the comments coming. I'm Stuart Spinks, and that was beekeeping short and sweet. Yeah.